Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is July 11th, 2016, and this is episode... 1,824 of the Survival Podcast, and it's Monday, so this is a listener feedback show, and we are going to talk about a lot of different feedback today, but I'm going to give you a little um, piece of irrelevant, but maybe interesting to some of you reality, I guess. Uh, today is 7-11-16, that means it's 7-11 day, yes, like the store, 7-11, right? Apparently on 7-11 day, you can get a free Slurpee. I don't drink those things, so I don't know how, but if you Google how to get a free Slurpee on 7-11 day, they'll tell you. We're going to talk about things a little bit more real and a little bit more somber today. My lead story today will be my thoughts on the Dallas shooting, um, the racism that we're dealing with, and more. And from there, I'll talk about uh, why Dallas PD used a bomb to take out the shooter, why I think they chose to do that. And I don't really have a defense or indictment for them on that. I just have a, a reality. And I'm covering those two first because, as you might imagine, given that I'm only about 30 miles, 35 miles from downtown Dallas where all of this happened, I've received a lot of questions from many of you about this and what we're doing in response to it and what I think about it and what was really going on, etc. I also have a quick little segment for you I'm going to have today on what is what the heck does bread and circuses mean, right? What is bread and circuses? Uh, John Pugliano let that slip last week, and I got a couple emails. Like, what the heck is that? Uh, I even had one comment on the blog basically saying, did he say bread and circuses? Uh, we're going to talk about what that is real quick and, and why I believe that indeed you may see a lot of bread and circuses in the coming future. If you don't know what it is, as soon as I tell you the definition of it, you'll go, oh, yeah, 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 okay. Um, also, I have a question about these rumors and all these emails that go around saying, they're going to put Obama in for a third term and, and these things. And uh, not really necessarily falling for it, but going, how out of the reality is something like that? And, you know, is it really the conspiracy realm to think they might do something like that? Um, also have a question about, or actually a news story about the, the term government schools. And apparently I am absolutely not the first person to start spreading this around. I found out quite a while ago uh, that uh, John Stossel had actually started that term going around a long time ago. And But apparently this thing's caught root in a few places uh, going back all the way about 2010, And there's some people very, 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 very angry, very upset that people are calling them government schools. They think it's a rebranding campaign. <laughs> yeah, it is. We'll talk about that today. Uh, we'll also have um, a little bit on automation. You know, you'd think that one of the things that you'd have to not automate would be, like, customer service, like, with the phone company. Because we've all called for, like, you know, uh, our cable bill or phone bill whatever and got that automated system and you just want to pull your hair out what if they made it actually do a better job than the actual people that you wait to talk to hmm we'll hear about that today um, we'll have a listener that gives the recipe to roll your own DIY, DIY dash camera for about 60 bucks you can have your own better than what's on the market I think in some ways dash camera and we can also talk about today at the end 
is there a way we can actually solve this this raging new racism problem? And I'm going to talk about the only way that we would do that is the same way that we banish all darkness. And if anybody makes that a racist comment, I'm going to smack you. I'm going to say it right now. If anybody tries to make that statement racist, you need to be smacked. And I'm going to play something for you before I have my ending segment that will make you realize what a dumbass you are for maybe doing that. I'm just saying. But yes, we need to get rid of racism the same way that we banish any darkness. And if you've ever entered a dark room, you already know the answer to that problem. With that, let's go ahead and get into it. Before we do, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. Hey, if, if you're like me, you know what a gun without ammo is. We call that an overpriced club. That's why I go to BulkAmmo.com and keep a good stockpile of ammo for all my guns at all times. And it isn't just great price and availability that keeps me going back for more. Nope, it's lightning-fast shipping and exceptional service. Give BulkAmmo.com a shot, and I promise they won't let you down. Hey guys, you know I've always been a fan of Backwoods Home Magazine? Well, how about this? How about Self-Reliance Magazine from the same people that brought you Backwoods Home? Many of you know I've been a Backwoods Home subscriber for over 20 years. Dave Duffy and the crew over there have brought out a new magazine simply called Self-Reliance Magazine. It's at self-reliance.com online, and you can learn more about it by the link in today's show notes. But it's amazing. Just take Backwoods Home up the production value, take out all the politics, and go 100% hardcore homesteading, self-reliance, self-sufficiency. And that's what you get in Self-Reliance Magazine. Check them out today, self-reliance.com. With that, let's take a look at the year that was the episode, the year 1824. And that means that we will look at the year 1824. I'm sorry, the episode 1824, so we'll look at the year 1824. Alex has two for us today. We have... Utopia along the Wabash, and we have the Erie Canal opens for business, and we have in other news, British subjects can unionize again. Fear of an overthrow of the government has passed, though workers still object to being replaced by machines. Yep. Portland cement is patented in England. It looks like limestone of the Isle of Portland, but the modern formula for Portland cement will not be established until 1859. And Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony makes its debut. The Ode to Joy in the second movement is easily recognizable. I won't play it on the air, but if you want to hear it, just go to TSP Wiki and you can click here. Where Alex put click here, and you can hear it for yourself, and you will know it right away. I promise you. All right, I'm going to read the Erie Canal opens for business. The Mohawk and Hudson Rivers are natural gate natural gateways to the west from New York. To Lake Ontario and Lake Erie, merchants want to ship food and goods through the natural gap between the mountain ranges, but the costs are still prohibited. Shipping by riverboat is less expensive, but the rivers are not 100% navigable. It would be nice to connect the Hudson River to Lake Erie, but the elevation from the river to the lake rises about 600 feet. To connect these two bodies of water takes a lot of digging, an army of German stonemasons, and a building a series of 50 locks. Even in the modern day, building such a canal would be a formidable task. The Erie Canal begins in Albany and ends in Little Buffalo Creek near Buffalo, New York, the Queen City, and the lakes. Parts of the Erie Canal have been open for some time, but now the full length is complete. It doesn't take long before the canal reaches its design limit for cargo. The speed of the barges is reduced to 4 miles per hour to preserve the clay bottom. By 1837, the Erie Canal will have paid for itself, but it is clear that a larger canal is already needed. 
My take by Alex Strug. To increase barge traffic, they juggled the schedules to give priority larger barges, which are harder to stop and harder to get to speed again. This is similar to how multiple trains will share a single track, even if they are going in the same direction. Making a long train wait for a short train to pass makes no sense if the long train is already up to speed. In the long run, all the overflow traffic increases. Also, most of the revenue of the canal was for local shipping. Very few barges made the trip one end to the other. Later, a railroad was built parallel to the Erie Canal. At first, they took mostly passenger traffic because trains go faster than four miles an hour. By the 1850s, 75% of New York's cargo was shipped by barge. By the 1890s, barge shipment was down to 5% as New York eased up on the toll charges for railroads. Shipping by rail became cheaper. I assume this was because... Like the Erie Canal, the government charges tolls to pay back the loans laying track. Once the loans are paid off, the tolls are reduced, which is an amazing concept. And it can be used to screw people. It can be used to screw people. You see, right here in Dallas in modern times, we have something very, very similar to that. I-30, for those that aren't familiar with our city, I-30 is a main highway that comes in from the east um, out of uh, Texarkana, uh, where we have Arkansas, Louisiana, etc., all merged together. And uh, it comes all the way down and comes into Dallas from the east, goes directly through downtown Dallas, continues through what we call the mid-cities, goes right through the middle of Fort Worth, and then is the main vein going out the tip of the penis. Did I say that? Yes, I did. Look at Dallas-Fort Worth on a map. And you will never see Dallas-Fort Worth the same way again. It really is the big D. Anyway, um, I-30 is that road. And a piece of it between the two main cities was really never what it needed to be. So many, many years ago, the geniuses in Texas said, we should make it a toll road and expand it and make it what it needs to be to do its job. And the people said, bramble, grouse, gross, uh, toll roads, no, negative. And the, they said, hmm, What if we promise, what if we promise that once it pays for itself, we'll take down the toll booths? And the people said, yay! And you know what? For one of the few times in history, politicians kept their word. They put the tollway through, they made it a tollway, they paid for the project, they took the booths down and they got rid of them. And then in the future... Many other tollways went into the North Texas area where the same promise maybe wasn't completely promised but inferred, and yet the tolls have never gone away. Which leads us to today's lesson about government, ladies and gentlemen. Just because they've earned your trust once doesn't mean they're worthy of your trust long term. Government should have to earn your trust every single time. If you don't believe me, well... Talk to some of the fellow people that have been in Dallas-Fort Worth long enough to remember when I-30 was a toll road and remember the other projects that suddenly we forgot all about that. Just saying. With that, let's get into the main topic of today's show. And again, uh, our opening story, of course, is the Dallas shooting. And uh, it's a little easier for me to do this segment today than it would have been to do if, let's say, it happened you know, last night. Having a weekend in between, having time for myself to decompress, for others to decompress, not having it so hot on the heels, so to speak, and knowing more. But I do want to point something out leading into this about perceptions, including perceptions within our own audience and at least my larger social media following. So... I'm sitting here watching this on, on Friday night, 
And I'm listening to the news media talk about this with, like, you know, they're doing this and that, and they're cowards, and they thought there were two shooters. And I'm listening to the tactics being used, and I'm not completely sure that is the tactics being used, but it sounds very military to me. And then a video comes out. Many of you have probably seen this video. If you, if it's hard for you to see graphic things, I'd advise not to watch it. Even though it's very far away, it's a man losing his life. You see the shooter on the ground, and you see an officer attempt to engage him. And the officer actually fires a shot and hits him in the chest. He's wearing body armor. And the distance is closed. The officer's taken out. And then the shooter moves, checks some things out, moves, and moves away. And uh, I look at that, and I, I, I made my first post to Facebook about this, and I said the, me the news media has no idea what's going on. This is textbook military tactics. This is a military-trained shooter. And I got all kinds of pushback. And then we got more information, and I came back and clarified my statements, made another post. I got a lot more pushback. And what I was told by a lot of people on Facebook and people that I know that follow me that we interact with quite a bit, um, you can learn that from paintball or video games or watching TV or reading books. You know, you, you can't say this guy's military just because of how he moves and the tactics he's using. And my response was, yes, I can, because, you know, the reality is if you are military, when you see someone else that was military, you recognize it. And it, it, it is not the same as someone who went to some tactical trainings. It is not the same as somebody who pays paint, plays paintball. It is not the same as someone who's drilled it and rehearsed it on their own. Military training is a, a science. It, it really is. Our government has gotten very good at military training. And then the further ignorance of the military, or the, not the military, the, the, the media in this, I've heard several media people now say, but he didn't have any infantry training. He didn't have any infantry training. He was a, a carpenter, basically. He didn't have infantry training. Um, <laughs> basic training is basic infantry training. Now, those that are actually infantry that are in combat arms, their basic goes on through, in the Army anyway, something called one-station unit training. And they go to much more advanced infantry training. But every soldier... And every Marine, whether they're a carpenter or a mechanic or a typist, gets basic infantry and rifleman training, period. And Marines more so than the Army. Not so much in the Air Force and the Navy. Now, they get some weapons training and stuff like that, but it's different. It's different. So much so that when most people that have been in the military, either Army or Navy, can identify someone... I'm sorry, Army or, or Marine Corps, can identify another person as prior military if they served in the Army or the Marine Corps. Almost immediately, based on simple things that it's even hard to explain, the way a person carries themselves, the way they move, the way they act. And that's why we can also determine fakes like that fast. You know, when people start, to, yeah, I was Special Forces or whatever, you're like, you weren't even in the military. Or you can go, yeah, this guy's in the military, but he's full of shit because... Those guys don't talk about this. Anyway, I'm getting off on a side note there. But I just want to point out that there was this perception that because no one wanted it to be the case this guy was a military guy, and of course we now know that he had served in the United States Army Reserve and had served in active combat in Afghanistan. Okay, 
And the other thing that came out is, so you think this is false flag, right? Or, or something like that, you know, or who's military and, and questions like this. So it, the, the, the fact that he was military meant that there had to be some kind of, like, government manipulation or involvement here. I'm prior military. I, I bet you 15, 20% of my total audience is prior military. I bet you 15 to 20% of my total audience is prior Marine Corps or Army. I'm not putting down the other branches of service. I'm just saying there's a certain amount of combat-specific training that every single Army soldier and Marine get. It's not quite the same unless you go into like pararescue or Navy SEAL stuff or Naval Special Warfare, things like that, right? Like every single person coming into the... So there was no connection there. By the way, I do not think there was anything false flag about this. And it's actually an interesting contrast to Orlando where I think the government somehow was involved in that. Like I said, my, my view in Orlando is that FBI assets were working between they lost control, he went operational before they expected it, and they covered their ass, and they had a whole plan because they had a whole workup. It was almost like there was a press kit handed out. I mean, we were, we were four hours from the starting of shooting, and every news agency knew everything. They knew about his ex-wife, they knew about his existing wife, they knew about him casing this. They knew everything. They got nothing wrong. They knew every every victim before they were done counting the bodies. They had not names, but they had faces and pictures. It looked like a press kit. And it, it really bothered me. This looked like what you would expect. No one knew what the hell was going on. No one had a clue. And there was incorrect information released. There was clearly accidental information. There's two shooters. You know, I don't think there were. I think there was a single shooter. I think they have that right. Um... If you've ever been where shots are fired in a place that is an urban center with big buildings that have the canyon-like effect and you have a moving shooter, it would be really easy to believe that you had multiple shooters. It really would. Um, that was an honest mistake. And there was a lot of honest mistakes. There were people taken into custody and rapidly released. There were several people in the march that were open-carrying long guns, ARs, And uh, one, they made a person of interest, put him on TV. He turned himself in almost immediately, said, hey, I didn't have nothing to do with this. They let him go. They did later exonerate him, though I don't think they did it as publicly as they put his picture up. And I think they should have done a little bit more effort with that. This doesn't help. There was a guy in the, in the crowd wearing a bulletproof vest and a gas mask on the top of his head. And they arrested him. To, to check him out. They vetted him and apparently let him go. And But the crowd almost went and rioted on the police when they arrested him. Let me tell you something. If there's an active shooter that's reported to be wearing body armor and there's and there's there's 10 cops, by the time this happened, actually 11 cops down, four were known dead, one more died, and you're sitting there wearing camouflage pants and a bulletproof vest when that's the description given, yeah, they're going to take you into custody to figure out who you are. There were another two people that were seen, one through a camo bag into the back of a black Mercedes, jumped in the passenger seat, they went hauling ass, they were swamped by DPD, pulled over, taken into custody, um, they didn't talk to the police, that led Chief David Brown to believe initially they knew something, they didn't, and uh, they were released. Uh, this, is, this is a lot of the things that you may not know if you aren't local and weren't actually watching local news, instead we're watching the national coverage of it. 
uh, and actually what the resolutions to them were. This guy um, was also good at what he did. I'm not saying what he did was good, but he was good at what he did, better than most people give him credit for. The other pushback I got when I said this guy was prior military was if they were military shooters, there'd be a lot more dead people. Okay, He specifically wanted to kill cops and white cops. Uh, while not every cop he got was completely Caucasian, he didn't shoot a white cop or a black cop. Not a single one. One civilian was definitely hit in the leg and probably by a ricocheting round, but in the calf. She is the lady they're making out to be a hero because she ran and threw herself on top of her kid between two cars and, quote, by the media, I've heard this over and over, it saved his life. She didn't save his life. Her actions were heroic with heroic intent, but she got hit in the leg from a ricochet. Nobody else got hit that we know of as a civilian. She did what she did in order to save his life and was willing to risk her own to save him. And she's a wonderful person because this woman, while laying on her son and listening to this going on, said she was praying for everybody, praying for herself, the rest of her kids, because she had multiple kids, and the other kids were separated from her. She didn't know where they were. But at the same time, she was praying for the police officers. And yes, she was a march, a marcher in the in the in the uh, in the demonstration, the protest. And um, she said, "They saved our lives." Speaking of the police officers, they saved all of our lives. She was a truthful, honest person. And uh, they shouldn't overemphasize what she did. There's not a single parent out there that wouldn't have done the same thing in the same situation. When we when we Make exceptional that which is natural. We give people uh, a misunderstanding of that which is natural, and therefore they don't behave naturally. That's one of the many, many things that are going on wrong around here. But all in all, um, my, my concern is, and it kind of transitions into the second piece of this, is that this guy, while he may have completely acted alone that night, I don't believe is acting completely alone. Um, there were tweets from the new Black Panthers and from a black power movement in the North Texas area basically saying there's more do you like what our snipers did uh, join us shoot the police, things like that and while he may or may not have been tied in with those people, if he was it's a problem, if he wasn't I think the rest of those people do admire what he did and there could be a lot more of this. Indeed, there have been major protests and there have been shots fired uh, in different places throughout the United States, like at a police headquarters or something and stuff like that. And I believe there was at least one other police officer shot this weekend. This could turn into an insurrection, uh, the bad kind. This could turn into a revolt. This could turn into some sort of insurgency. I don't think that it will, but I think that if we deny that it could we make it more likely, not less likely, than it could, that it could happen. And it's because there is a, a huge disconnect in what's going on here. Um, and what doesn't help, and I'm not questioning it, but what doesn't help is Dallas Police Department's decision to blow this man up with a pound of C4. Um, I... Don't know how many of you actually know much about explosive like C4. 
But to kind of put it in perspective, a Claymore mine, which is an anti-personnel device, has about 12 ounces of plastic explosive in it. Now, it is true that in front of that layer of plastic explosive is a whole bunch of steel balls, uh, which makes it far more effective over far greater of an area. But I, I think you do get the point that a, a, a pound of C4 is, is a lot. It's a bomb. They bombed the guy. Um, They also had this robot deliver the C4 charge, and they were actually communicating with him through the robot, and they were pretty much begging him to surrender peacefully, and he, he chose not to. As they were having negotiations with him, he would, at times from his uh, covered position, fire shots uh, randomly in the direction of where negotiators were also taking cover uh, inside a concrete uh, parking garage. Now, again, I, I, some people, I think, are so hooked on the movies, they don't get it. They think if you're missed, you're missed. Well, when, when bullets hit concrete, they deform, they become jagged and far, uh, in some ways far more destructive, and then they bounce around and they keep going. Right? Having a guy shooting at you in a cement parking garage is a bad freaking thing. So he was unwilling to surrender they told him he was going to die if he didn't surrender he refused to surrender and they blew him up my problem isn't so much that they took out a man who 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 killed five officers and wounded six or seven others and wounded at least one civilian my understanding and i do have some sources i don't have a lot like the media right but i have some the second civilian that was wounded was not wounded by gunfire That's, that's my understanding. If you notice you haven't seen this second person on TV, they haven't made a big story about it, they haven't done a special interest story, it's just there's another civilian that was wounded, and that's it. My, my understanding is that they were injured in the chaos of the commotion sufficiently to need medical treatment, and therefore they are a casualty of the in, in incident or an injured of the incident, but they were not shot. So um, we had one civilian shot and 11 officers shot. I want to put it in perspective for you what this man was able to then pull off. Um, there were 100 uniformed officers detailed to this event. 100. Ten went down at the beginning, and one was shot during the hunt for this guy, the one that I described the interaction with. Those ten went down in a matter of seconds to minutes. In the area that this shooting happened while the initial shots were fired, there were maybe 20 to 25 police officers because they were spread out through the whole route. If we say it was 30, he killed or, or took out because every officer that was hit was hit seriously. It wasn't grazings. The people that made it didn't make it because they, you know, they took one in the, you know, the hand or something like that. Um, that's a 30% hit rate. That's why I knew this guy had military training. Or some other. In fact, I'm going to tell you what, I'm a little relieved that he had military training. Because if he had not, it would be a clear indication that significant training was done with him by another party. The, the only thing that makes me willing to accept that he might be a complete lone actor here is that he had prior U.S. Army training. And had served in a combat theater. That is the only thing. The man looked like somebody had been shot at before. Or at least been in places where people were being shot at before, which is more the case. So my, my thoughts on this is this is genuine. It's deeply concerning. And there's no good in it, but there may be good from it. 
I'm hearing more talk of unity now than I have for many years. Um, I am hearing cries from Barack Obama for gun control, of course, because he would always do that. But if you notice, those, those, those sentiments have not come out of the state of Texas where this happened. Let us take care of our own stuff down here. We know what we're doing, Barack. Take your ass back to the private sector and go leave everybody alone. You're about done. And it's about time for you to be done. You've done enough. You've screwed things up enough. Um, I'll say this, and I know it will make me unpopular. I feel like Barack Obama has done more to damage race relations uh, than anyone has for a long time. Things were not like this when Obama took office. They weren't. And I know some may think that's unfair, but it's how I feel. But there may be some good to come from this, right? As I said, so unity, I think there's... I think there's even within the Black Lives Matter movement, which I think largely is a racist group, racist against white people, but we have to ask ourselves why that's the case. Do they have a point to some degree? And I think at some levels they do. Um, but I think even among their group, it's like, whoa, wait a minute, this is not what we wanted. And I, the, the scary part is there's a lot of people out there that this is exactly what they wanted. And I think when you see things going on right now, like these protests, you know, blocking highways and, and doing things like that, sooner or later, one of these is going to result in widespread freaking violence and pushback. Somebody's going to be fed up with it and just drive over a bunch of these people with a giant pickup truck, or somebody's going to start shooting or throwing Molotov cocktails or something like that, and it's going to go really bad. And I'll tell you what. I don't think that necessarily all the people doing it want that, but I think some of the people instigating it do. I think there's a whole group of people on that side of the debate, these people out of like Black Power, New Black Panthers, and things like this, like don't make any mistake. Those, whatever what Black Lives Matter is, is one thing, but the New Black Panthers, right? The Black, the Northern Texas Black Power group, the basically a black militia, these are hate groups. These are racist hate groups. And they want a battle. They want blood. And there's not enough of them to do it on their own. So they want to create big things like this. Um, it may be that if this guy was working with other people, he actually hoped to create a great big giant where people started shooting back and forth at each other, some kind of big riot or something. Um, apparently North Texas doesn't work that way. Apparently North Texas doesn't work that way. Uh, I heard a lot about how this was a peaceful protest, almost too much of it. Uh, but in, in overall, it was true. There were people saying, F the police, F the MFing police, right? And, and other things that were worse at this protest, they were not the majority. And the police stood their ground and protected the people doing that. I think that another thing that might be good to come from this is that the the country as a whole will see what an amazing man Police Chief David Brown of the Dallas PD is. This is a man I have admired for a long time because he's actually willing to do something about the real problem, which is police overreach of authority and police abuse of the public, no matter what color the officer is and no matter what color the member of the public is. David Brown is a, is a police chief who has fired members of his own department when they were found to do such things on Twitter. David Brown is a good man, a very good man. 
and he's the type of police chief we need in more places. I don't say that because he's black. I, I don't even think it's a happy coincidence that he's black. I say that because he's a good man, he's a good officer, he gives a shit about the public, and he's doing the best he can in a very tough place to be a police officer. If I was willing to be a police officer, I can tell you that Dallas, Texas would be one of the last places I would want to be a police officer. Tarrant County Sheriff's Department, different thing. Dallas, Texas, downtown Dallas, not happening. I would never do it. It is a very dangerous place to be a police officer, irrespective of all the things that you've seen this weekend. And it takes courage to be an officer in that city. It does. There are very dangerous parts of Dallas-Fort Worth. And it gets into the entire, entire problem because the truth is that those areas are predominantly uh, inhabited by black people. They really are. And this, this is, there's a lot of crime in a lot of black areas in these large cities. And there's a lot of crime in predominantly white areas, but the crime that's heavy in predominantly white areas generally is not in urban environments. It's in smaller towns. And it, it's just the way things laid out demographically. And in those situations, there's less of this constant police presence and this constant engagement. It's not that there's more black people committing crimes in America. That's really not the case. It's there's more black people committing crimes in densely populated areas where more people that are white are tending to commit crimes in less densely populated areas. And, th and that's my personal observation. And that's why we have to get off of the whole thing about black lives matter or because th th the point is all lives matter. But I'll, have, I'll, I'll tell you this, honest to God, if I was a black person in this country, I can understand why they would fear being pulled over by a police officer if they were doing nothing wrong, especially in certain areas, especially in certain areas. I, you know, mistakenly, inadvertently, whatever you want to call it, listened to Glenn Beck recently for about 10 minutes because I had to go get a load of wood chips uh, in my truck and turned on and AM radio, there he is in the morning. And he said something I found interesting. When he had first, he, he was a DJ somewhere in Kentucky. And when he first started DJing there, there was a story that broke. There were two, I think they were Louisville, uh, Kentucky. I don't want to, you know, slander anybody if I'm wrong about this. I'm saying it's what I remember. But it was Kentucky, definitely. Two Kentucky police officers who were caught with their Klan outfits in the trunk of their car. And I'm just saying, you think no one knew that? You think everybody on the police force didn't know those two guys? No one saw something and said something about that? And this random happenstance that they got caught? And maybe somebody did see something and say something, and that's how they got caught. But do you think that was the first time someone saw something or should have said something? And I think this is our big problem for you law enforcement officers out there. You guys won't come out and say it's wrong when it's wrong. Not enough of you anyway. We had two recent shootings, and I, I have different feelings about them. The first one was the individual that was selling CDs, apparently threatened a homeless man with a gun. Homeless man calls 911. Police show up, hold this man down. He doesn't ever put his hand on his gun, but he has a gun in his pocket. And somewhere in the struggle and attempt to handcuff him to and arrest this man, one cop sees a gun, says gun, and they shoot him. It looks bad. It looks bad for the police. I'm not 100% certain, but it looks bad. The other one, we don't really know what happened because we have video of the aftermath 
but a young black man driving his car with a concealed weapons permit with no felony record to speak of because he wouldn't have had a concealed weapons permit, who was an employee at a local school who was well-liked and really didn't ever get into any trouble whatsoever, was pulled over for an out uh, taillight, disclosed to the officer that he was indeed armed, was asked for his ID, and when reaching for his ID was shot point-blank through the window of his car by the officer. This one looks really bad. And it doesn't mean that there might not be the case, that there's something there we don't know. But if officers in general won't stand up and say, that looks wrong, because cops, I want to be honest with you, if it was anybody else that made the claim, well, I thought he was going to shoot me, you'd suspect them and you'd at least take them into custody for further investigation. And you should hold your, your brother and sister officers to the same standard you would hold anybody else to when, when the preponderance of evidence looks like there may have been a crime committed. And you have a loyalty to each other that on some levels is admirable. But until such time as you say that loyalty is not as important as my loyalty to my oath, we're going to keep having these problems. Because cops are not just using excessive authority and force up to lethal force on black people. They're doing it to Hispanic people. They're doing it to white people. They're doing it to Asian people. It's happening to everybody. And we have to approach the problem that way if we're going to solve it. As for a lot of questions that I got, like, you know, am I bunkering down or whatever? No, I did say to Dorothy on Friday night, it may be time to lock and load, though we're always lock and loaded. But we're definitely at a heightened state of awareness. I did notice two different sheriff's vehicles on Saturday morning through the area. And I talked to those guys through here quite a bit um, because they're good guys. And I, I want to be in the know. And I want, if anything ever goes down, like, I don't know, someone calls and says, hey, this guy with a bunch of ducks is dealing dope because stupid people do stupid shit like that, that they're going to go, yeah, Jack, I don't think Jack's doing that. Let's go talk to him, not let's kick his door in and shoot his dog, right? So I, I maintain good relations with him. And I saw something I've never seen. Both vehicles had two officers to a vehicle. That's never happened before. I've never seen that before. I've never seen two sheriff's deputies in the vehicle together here. And I have actually, um, uh, one of them is a son of a good family friend. Uh, in fact, he stood in, in the Methodist church when you're confirmed, generally some other Uh, person from the church a little bit older than you, another youth, stands with you during your confirmation. This young man, who is actually now a Tarrant County Sheriff, stood with my son for confirmation. He's a, a deputy that actually patrols my area, and I've talked to him numerous times. Through here. He's never had anybody in the vehicle with him. I haven't been able to talk to him since this occurred. So there is definitely a reaction by local police at all levels, uh, a greater concern of ambush and things like that. And this is where we get into a very dangerous situation. We get into a very dangerous situation where the more amped up police get, the more likely they are to make mistakes, and the more mistakes they make, the more likely it is to create more danger and more response and more blowback from the public. And it's, it's definitely the case that that's the kind of place that we're headed. And I'll save the rest of my thoughts on this for the end of the show, but... We're in a very dangerous position in America right now. And, and we as a people, not we as a government, we as a people, are going to have to make a decision about where we turn. 
And one side, indeed, does lead back to the 1960s, and this will be worse than the 60s. Because in the 60s, there was an underlying true problem with racism at a systemic level that does not exist today. Which means today, to keep it going, you have to hype things. And you have to get people to not even care about the facts anymore. And when you do that, it gets very dangerous on both sides. Or we can realize that the politicians have no answers, and we can focus on the only thing that can fix this, us turning to our brothers and sisters of all races, origins, colors, sex, sexual preference, all of it, and say we're not going to be led by these people to hate each other anymore. Is that too fanciful? It, it, it might be, but I'm telling you it's our only, it's our only hope. There's no other option. We cannot legislate our way out of this. I have a relationship with my wife, and that relationship includes fidelity, to make this clear. Now, I'm sure if I t asked my wife to give me rules, one would be don't go out calivanting around and having relations with other women because you're supposed to be faithful to me. But I'm faithful to my wife without that rule. And if I was unwilling to be faithful to my wife, her telling me that's a rule in our relationship wouldn't, wouldn't work. Government can't regulate how you're going to behave. It can only punish people for behaving in ways they say we shouldn't, whether they're right or wrong about whether or not we should. The only thing that actually regulates us is us. That's what I think. Let's move on to, uh, to something a bit different. Let's talk about Bread and circuses. So this this is a lot of what's going on around this event already. Um, it comes from a Latin term, panam et circensis, which basically means uh, superficial means of appeasement. A uh, modern way to look at it would be a diet of entertainment or political policies on which the masses are fed to keep them happy and docile. Okay, so when, when John Pugliano said we're going to have a lot of breads and circuses in the future, that means that there's going to be a lot of political policies um, to keep us happy and docile and a lot of entertainment, right? And entertainment can take a lot of forms. But if you think about the situation that we're in right now, the, the one thing the government doesn't want us to do is to actually demand real solutions to the real problems. They want us to remain divided. And the solution, as I just said, is to unite with each other and to stop seeing the person across the street from you as either being black or white or Asian or gay or straight uh, or married or unmarried, for that matter, to simply say this person either is or is not a threat to another person. To start viewing people that are threats to other people is bad. Given quite a few people in our government are a threat to the safety and well-being of others, they certainly don't want us to do that. But see, then we get rid of everything. We get rid of the gun debate, because I don't care if a person that's not going to shoot me has a gun. And I don't care if a person that's not going to shoot anybody else unless somebody tries to hurt them has a gun. I don't care. But they have a gun. I don't care. They're not going to hurt anybody with it. And then I don't care if they're black and have a gun or white and have a gun or a female or a male or gay or straight or whatever. I just don't care. I care that they mean no harm to anyone else. And as long as they mean no harm to anyone else, I'm not worried about what they're doing. That they're smoking dope. I don't care. As long as they're not stealing my TV to smoke dope, I don't care. It's their business. And if we can ever get there, we can get past the bread and circuses. 
But until we can get to at least that level, this is what will be done to appease us. Laws that sound special, like they've done something, and do nothing. Look at everything the government has claimed to really get serious about doing something about. The government decided on September 11th, 2001, that they would get serious about fighting terrorism. There's more terrorism here and around the globe than there ever has been in modern times. In the 1980s, under Ronald Reagan, we decided to get serious about a war on drugs. And there's, there's more drugs than there ever have been, ever, around the world, and especially in the United States. And more of the worst drugs, you know, like heroin, that's destroying lives. And I'll tell you what, we won't cover this today because it'll be way too long a show if we do, but if you want to know who's responsible for the heroin epidemic in the United States of America, it's the pharmaceutical companies. And the way they've created so many of these painkillers that people are ending up with prescriptions for and becoming addicted to prescription painkillers, and when they can no longer afford them, they turn to heroin, which is where a lot of that white crime in the smaller towns and smaller cities and more rural areas I was talking about is going on today centered around heroin. But we're not going to fix any of this until we figure out that we all have to look after each other and stop asking them to fix it because they can't. They can't regulate away heroin. They've tried. You know what else we declared war on in the 70s? We declared war on poverty. Now, while there's maybe less people, against their will anyway, living in the streets today, we have more poverty in this country than we had in the 70s. There's more people on government assistance, and without government assistance, they wouldn't be able to survive than ever before in the history of our country. Through the dot-com boom and everything else and the green shoots of the economic recovery and all of it, everything government has gotten serious about They've screwed up. They've screwed up. And when people point out to me that, well, look at the Civil Rights Act, hold on. We had gotten rid in all government institutions of the concept of segregation by the 1900s. It was Calvin Coolidge, government, that reintroduced the concept of segregation in government institutions. Look that up if you don't believe it. It was government that empowered the institution of slavery that started all this shit in the first place. Government has caused all of these problems. It wasn't government that made people keep slaves, though. It was people who chose to keep slaves. The law said you could. It didn't say you had to. Think about that. In the end, it is us that decide, regardless of regulations and laws, whether we behave in a way that is morally acceptable and respects the rights, liberties, freedoms, and lives of our fellow man, or we choose not to. No law will change that. It will only change how we violate the rights of others. A person that's going to violate the rights of others is going to do so with no concern whatsoever for the law other than getting caught. A person that won't violate the rights, liberties, freedoms, and sanctity of life of another being won't do it even if you made it legal. I'll ask you, if they said, it's now legal to kill five people in your lifetime before you have to be held accountable, any five people you want, would you grab your gun and go shoot five people on the street tomorrow? You would probably use the same determinations under our current legal system that make it legal for you to shoot somebody even if the law was not there to require you to do so. Why? 
because you're a, a moral, responsible individual that values the lives of others. That doesn't mean we should make it legal to shoot people. Please understand that. My point is that the people that don't shoot people, the people that don't harm people, the people that don't steal from people, would not do those things even if it were legal. Because they know inherently that it's wrong to take the property, the life, the freedom, the liberty of another individual. But to keep you under the illusion that government is really what prevents that, we need bread and circuses. Let's take another one because I think we've worn that one out. Actually, real quick before we do that, I want to read an email from John Pugliano who made that comment about bread and circuses. Uh, we had talked about it being like 1968. Uh, he says, FYI, I just did a quick blog post about how turbulent 1968 was. You might find interesting. He got a link. He says, in 1968, the country was a mess. North Korea captured the USS Pueblo. North Vietnam launched the Tet Offensive. A sniper assassinated civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. Civil rights riots, uh, riots erupted across the country. Democratic president candidate, presidential candidate and attorney general Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Anti-war protests turned violent at the Democratic presidential convention. Summer Olympics, two black athletes staged a silent demonstration against racial discrimination in the U.S. The year ended on a positive note when Apollo 8 was the first manned spacecraft to orbit the moon. The stock market was just as turbulent. Following Nixon's presidential victory in November, the S&P 500 briefly rallied to an all-time high, but one year later it plunged 30%. This year's presidential season has no less drama. Invest with caution. So that's a word there from John Pugliano on the similarities to 68, and there's a lot of them. This next one, I've been getting different versions of it for a while, and I haven't said anything because I don't want to be a jackass to anybody out there, but... Man, it makes my head hurt. Here's what it says. I'm an episode behind, so you may have addressed this or in the past, but I don't recall hearing anything yet. I'm sure by now you've heard the rampant rumors about plans to keep Obama in office, enact martial law, etc. I heard, heard several takes on it, including one from a DSA, a DHS agent stating that there were something like 7,200 U.N. troops on U.S. soil. That was me blowing my brains out. It's hard for me to just boom. I mean, I just want to... I, I can't even read this. I can't even read this. How does anybody believe this shit? I'll tell you how in a second. Let me reboot here and try to read this. Including one version, God, from a DHS agent stating there were something like 7,200 U.S. troops. Give me the cyanide capsule on U.S. soil awaiting instruction. I'm not emailing you to ask you your take on these rumors. Okay, I'm going to put the gun down and not blow my own brains out. My question is, and I'm no conspiracy theorist, but I don't think it's too far outside the realm of possible plausible. What if it comes true? Let's say hypothetically through a series of orchestrated events sometime in the next year, you and agents knock on your door to collect any and all firearms you might possess. What do you do? That's what I do, okay? And that's what everybody does, and that's why it ain't going to happen, all right? Part of me is screaming, Mulan LeBay, my belief in protecting our liberties and rights, willingness to put my life on the line to do so is why I spent 11 years in military environment, six in the United States Marine Corps, two in Army Reserves, and three as a contractor. The other part of me, however, says stop and think about your family. There's a difference between fighting for a cause with a band of brothers and going down a blazing glory inside your front door. Are my guns or my pride worth the risk of my daughter having to witness that, let alone grow up without me? It's a tough spot. I'm just curious to your thoughts on it. There's there a compromise, like burying half your weapons and ammo and caches and turning in the other half to appear to comply. 
Uh, well, maybe, maybe. This is from Greg. Here's, here's the reality. First of all, Obama is not going to run for a third term. And if you think he is, what you should do right now is you should go find a mirror, look at yourself in the mirror, and punch yourself in the face until you don't think so anymore. Because I'm going to tell you exactly how this bullshit gets spread. Email marketing. Email marketing. It's freaking email marketing. Somebody figured out that if we said that, we could get you to click a mail and open it and buy a bunch of survival shit. All right? This is Porter Stansberry's handiwork. And then the emulators of Porter Stansberry. Porter Stansberry, by the way, is a man who should have a large cheese grater inserted into his anus and then have like a rope tied to a building, like inside the building. And so he should set the building on fire so he has to run and jerk it out. That's what kind of a douchebag Porter Stansberry is for stirring up stupid crap like this and making Americans believe this bullshit. That's how stupid this is. This is not what we need at a time where we have a, a crazy jackass gunning down 11 police officers. We don't need shit like this, and we don't need anybody countenancing it with any level of credibility or belief. This is the dumbest shit I've heard. It's been going on for years. And the problem with this is... If you hear something enough times without appropriate bullshit inoculation, you will begin to believe it's true and start postulating on what if it is. There is no truth to any of us. There are not 7,200 freaking United Nations troops in the United States of America. As for what would we ever do if the blue helmets came to get our guns? If you are alone by yourself and anybody comes to get your guns from your house and you decide that you're going to go down in a hail of glory, you are a dumbass. You are a dumbass. What about your comments about... My comments about that are, if something like this ever happens, and this is what the people on the gun grabber side need to understand, this country is made up of men, at least for now, that won't allow it. And if you want an insurrection, if you want a shooting war in this country, try to take our guns. And I'm not saying come to one person's house and try to take their guns. I'm saying do it wholesale. And you will quickly see an insurgency like nothing that's ever occurred in the third world in your life. There are 55 million people that own guns in this country. If 10% say, I don't freaking think so, that's a standing army of 5.5 million men and women. They can't disarm us that way. That's why they're trying to do it incrementally. And they've, they figured something out. And this is where you got to put all the conspiracy theories away and look at fundamental reality. They are educating our children and our children's children to willingly give away their guns. They're taking an academic solution to this. By the time they take the guns, you'll be an old man and there won't be anything you can do about it. And the majority of the people will give them away. Unless we do something to stop it. That's why I started Granddaddy's Gun. But this crap about Obama's third term, this goes back about six years ago. Six years ago, before the guy was even done with his first term, Stansberry started this crap. And if you think my, my, my statements about putting a cheese grater in this guy's ass are too harsh, go look at all the bullshit this guy's done over the years, including his campaign that ran for nine months saying the dollar would collapse in exactly six months because of insider information. This kind of crap, give no continence, pay no attention to. This is how you convince a group of people to riot, convincing them that, One of their fellow members of their race was murdered by police when the person that you used to drum it up wasn't and other people were. Or you used the fact that some were to convince them that all are. It's the same technique. It's marketing. And marketing is a tool. 
Marketing is a tool like any other tool, like a gun. I can use a gun to defend my family. I can use a gun to feed my family. I can use guns for recreation and enjoyment, or I can use guns to murder innocent people. I can use marketing to tell a compelling story about something valuable that people should know about and to improve the lives of other people and to entertain. Or I can use marketing to deceive people of their, of their time. I can use marketing to deceive people of their valuables and their money. Or I can use marketing to sell a lie and sell people on committing acts of violence. Marketing is not evil nor good. It is a tool. You should recognize when a gun is being used for evil, when a hammer is being used for evil, and when marketing is being used for evil. And again, if anybody ever does try to really take the guns of the people of this country, no, going it alone as a single person, not going to happen. But I think what you would see is a large portion of the people they would count on to take the guns away, just walk across the line, spin an about face, and say, I don't think so, for now. Like I said, my fear is 20, 30, 40 years from now. They're educating each subsequent generation to fear guns and believe they only belong in the hands of the state. That's a bad trend, but it's not today. The blue helmets aren't coming, and my God, please don't ask me about Obama's third term again. I just might end it all. You guys are supposed to be smarter than that. This email comes from Sean, and Sean says, Public schools to Kansas conservatives... They're government schools. Even some Republicans are worried that the use of the term pretends less support for public education. And this is from the New York Slimes. I mean Times. Here we go. Leewood, Kansas. Erica Massman, a moderate Kansas Republican, refers to the buildings where her daughter attends fourth grade as public school. Miss Massman's mother, whose politics tilt further to the right, calls it something else. A government school. Quote, My mother, who is a Tea Party person, started saying government schools all the time, said Miss Massman, recalling when she first heard the phrase around 2010. I remember thinking, wow, Miss Massman, you should not be a representative because you, you, your, 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 your words sound like that of a freaking dolt. Anyway, Kansas has for years been a stage for a messy school funding fight that has shaken the legislature and reached the state Supreme Court. Governor Sam Brownback, a Republican, and his political allies threatened to defy the court on education spending and slashed income taxes in their effort to make the state a model of conservatism. Somewhere along the way, the term government schools entered the lexicon in place of references to the public school system. Quote, our local grade school is now a government school. State Senator Forrest Knox wrote an op-ed article last year echoing conservative concerns that government had inserted itself unnecessarily into education. The intent was obvious to her, Ms. Massman said. They are trying to reband the public education system, she said. The use of the term has set off alarms, even among some Republicans, who fear it signals still less support financially and otherwise for public schools in a state that has a long-felt pride over the quality of its education system. The recent adoption of school finance plan that was acceptable to Mr. Brownback, the legislation of the Kansas Supreme Court, has not entirely assurged those concerns. You can read the rest if you want to. Here's my question. Why do they care if we call them government schools? Isn't government supposed to be good? Isn't government supposed to be good in the minds of the government bureaucrats, both the left and the right? Isn't government supposed to be good? 
Don't they tell us that there's a role for government? Government can do good things. And don't they always tell us that, and think about this, but without government, who would build the roads and the schools? I mean, seriously, how the hell can every single time you bring up libertarianism or anarchism, the very first objection be schools and roads, and then you turn around and say the schools are government and people would object to it? Can you really let that sink in for a minute? Uh, yes, and, and see, one thing I will say about Miss Massman, Miss Massman actually got the term correct, rebrand. Because see, public school is not a reality. Remember I just talked about how evil marketing can be? Public school is a brand. It's not a reality. How are schools funded? Through public money. But who collects the public money? Government. Who makes determinations about the rules of the school? Do the public make that determination, or does government? Government does. Who enforces those regulations, the public or government? Government. You, are, are you going to honestly tell me that a school, a school is not a government institution? A, a school that's not private is not a government institution. Are you going to tell me that the employees of your school district are not government employees, paid for by government salaries, with government benefits? It's a, see, it is, it's not about brand. It's about if we're going to be honest, then they're government schools. But see, that doesn't sound good, does it? So there was a very concise effort to brand the schools as public schools. But like I've said before, Albertsons is a public supermarket. Walmart is a public department store. Because you can go to the supermarket and buy other shit, right? Home Depot is a public hardware store. And other things. Because anybody can go there whenever they want to and buy stuff and do business with them. And you choose which Home Depot to go to or not to go to. Okay, can I choose not to go to school? Can I choose not to send my child to school? No, I can't. I have to do something that complies with the edict. Now, some places that's easy, some places it's hard. But if my child just simply doesn't go to school, it's called truancy. Who enforces that, the public or the government? If my child behaves in a way that the school finds wrong, whether it's actually a morally wrong thing to do or not. Now, there's certain things like causing a disturbance or whatever, but if they wear clothing that the, 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 the school finds inappropriate, even if it's not something vulgar or overly revealing, it's just, oh, I don't know, it has a picture of a gun on it or says NRA or has a kind of political message or the kid wears a hat. How is that enforced? Who has the authority to enforce things on other members of society against their will other than government? Do I have a right to tell you how to dress? Right? Well, maybe if you come into my home or into my place of business. But can I compel you to come and then tell you how to dress? No. And if I did, what would happen? Well, I'd be probably arrested for something like kidnapping or wrongful imprisonment. For compelling you to come would be I made you come in the door and then told you what to do with yourself. What if you walked into a store and they said, we have a policy that no one can wear earrings in our store. And you were wearing an earring. Either a guy wearing earrings or a woman wearing earrings. doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> and you said, well, okay, then I won't shop here. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, you can't leave. You need to take your earrings out now. What would happen to that shopkeeper, store owner, whoever set and enforced that policy? They'd be arrested. Why? They're not government. See, they don't like it because 
Here's the secret. Listen really close. Listen, listen. This is why they don't like it. Because it's the truth. Because it's the truth. See, what government hates is the truth. See, taxes theft is a truth. You can say whatever you want about the social contract and all this bullshit, but you can't erase the truth. You can't argue the truth away. You can't make it disappear. You have to shout down the opposition. You have to use emotion to compel people to not pay attention to it. But you can't actually fight the truth with facts. The facts are the public schools of America are not public schools. They are paid for with public money that is extorted from people by the government. They are administered by the government. They are controlled by the government. Their educational standards are set by the government. Their regulations are enforced by the government. Their employees are hired, paid for, and given benefits with from the government. They're government schools. They're government schools. And keep calling them government schools. For the love of God, teach everybody you know to call them government schools, especially teachers. So you do know you work for the government, right? I mean, d d police officers are public servants, But the police are the government. No one, no one disputes this. You know, police officers going, I don't work for the government. Well, of course you do. Of course you work for the government. I, I've never met a police officer in my life that didn't say, well, I work. The one, if you would have said, do you work for the government? I would have said, no, no, no. I work for a private company. I work for a public company. See, this is how they created the branding. This is about branding being used for evil. Public funds, therefore, public school. But again, I'm compelled to send my child against my will. My child's compelled to go against his will. You have criminal penalties now for failure to comply with this. You force people to stay in a room that they don't want to be in. You have children being picked on by other children who have no recourse, no way to get away. And you tell them to shake hands, get along, and learn social skills. Well, what place do we learn social skills that include having someone hit you, spit on you, pick on you, maliciously make fun of you, ridicule you, other than school and jail and prison? What other place is there where a person can be locked in a room with another person who is doing them harm and have no real recourse, no way to get away, told, just grow up, learn to get along, shake their hand, make friends with them? Where else does this happen? Nowhere else. Why? Because... You can do it there. You can make it happen there. And you can only do it with what? The authority of the state. Government schools. Keep saying it. Read this article. Understand, when you start getting pushback, you're starting to hurt them. The fact that this isn't a New York Slimes, I mean Times, the fact that this isn't a New York Times tells you that this message is starting to get through to people. You know what you do when people start to hear your drum beat? And either say they don't like it or start to dance, beat the drum harder. Government schools, government schools, government schools. Because the common theme today is us and them. Us and them is not black and white. It's not Hispanic and Asian. It's not male and female. It's not rich and poor. It's those of us that actually work for a living and those that live off of those of us who work for a living. And those who use that to truly enrich themselves, the power elite, the oligarchs. That's the us and them. We are divided as us and them because they want us that way. 
And the biggest way they do that right now is through the educational process, teaching us to be divided. Why do you think they're teaching people about white privilege? Right? Why do you think that's become a thing in our, our educational system? What a great way to divide people. What a great way to divide people. If what the proponents say about white privilege is true, the problem's not, well, not white privilege. It's people that use authority and force on others excessively when they happen to not be white. That's not white privilege. That What that would mean is that, in general, white people are being treated the way they're supposed to be treated, and other people are not. Well, let's fix the are not part. Not blame the people who are not being victimized as much as another group. But that wouldn't get us anywhere, would it? And you won't hear that inside, I'll say it one more time, a government school. So this one comes in from Jason. It's just a real quick one here. It says, Jack was right. Automated phone systems now understand full sentences. Jack, I called to pay my phone bill over the phone. The automated system said this system is able to understand full sentences. Now, instead of just saying two or three words, pay bill or account info, you can speak normally as if it were a person. Thanks. Um, and I think people would say, well, I, I hate those automated things. Well, just real quick, what if they could work better? And let me explain something that I don't think people understand. We've been conditioned because we've been taught to value customer service, right, uh, with air quotes around value, right, that the other person on the end of the line is actually the person solving the problem for you. So you need to pay your bill, something went wrong with it, you need to get clarification, you need to make a pay, whatever, you know. You need to tell them the phone's not working, so you call from your other phone, I don't know, whatever it is. That that person is the one that solves the problem. Well, they're not. They're just a conduit for information. All they're doing is they're sitting there with a headset on, at a desk, behind a keyboard, and they're typing things into a computer. And eventually they enter certain commands that initiates a process that actually is what fixes your problem. Okay? The person doesn't actually do anything. They're a conduit for information. Here's another real example. So recently, we did some remodel work in our bedroom. It wasn't a major overhaul, one like the, 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 the kitchen nightmare from last year. But, I mean, it was like, you know, scraping the ceilings, painting the walls, fixing some holes, uh, new door, stuff like that, to where we took all the furniture out And it meant including unplugging the cable box. So we finally got the work done. We put everything back together. The cable box came on and basically had a message that said, you didn't pay your bill. Well, all the other boxes are working in the house, so we have no picture. We didn't pay a bill. We, we called the cable company at like 7.30 on a Sunday, figuring that no one will answer the phone, so the computer answers the phone. And... Uh, My my wife hears this automated system say, tell me what the problem is. And she says, our TV doesn't work. And the thing says, what basically asks her a couple different things. Is it this, this, or this? And she says, we have no picture. And the computer says, let's see what I can do about that. And it says, are all your TVs off or just one? She says, just one. And the thing says, hold on. I'm sending a signal. Your TV problem, your, your problem should be corrected now. We go in there and boom, the TV comes back on. And, it, and then it asks, did this fix your problem? Yes. Thank you for calling us. 
Have a nice day. I actually think that went faster than if I had a human on the line. And we certainly didn't have to wait to be able to talk to a human. You could have an unlimited almost number. You're limited only by the number of trunks you can allow in at one time to the service. And I've had other problems where the service is down and I make a phone call and the computer immediately recognizes me as a, as a customer by my phone number and says, Mr. Spierko, right now in your area, there is a system outage. We are working on the problem. There is no need to contact us further. We expect that your system should be back up within four hours. It actually sounds like a person, not like a robot. Don't think there's a single job that they can't automate. But Because I had people say, but what about people, things that need thinking? And on, Man, there's only so many ways that any of these things can go. And there's only so many things that the person on the other end wants. And it can all be done with ones and zeros, believe it or not. It really can. And it's going to get better and better, which is going to make it for some people worse and worse. Another quick one I just wanted to read to you because I don't have anything other than to say about other. I think it's cool and a little word about dash cams. Dear Jack, I recently built my own DIY dash camera and wanted to share it with you and your listeners. I bought an Android Motorola, Motorola Razor for, on eBay for $36 used and a $10 Prime window mount cell phone holder. A ten dollar a ten at ten ten dollar uh, thirty two gig memory card using the app Auto Body Black Box, which is free. My webcam auto starts when I start my car, records twenty minutes of ten eighty p video before recording over itself, records an extra five minutes after the car is turned off. It records my speed and location at all times. I leave it on airplane mode so it uses almost no battery when the car is off. For $56 total, it's pretty awesome. Thanks for all you do, Al. I think there's probably a ton of things like that that can be done. And that's pretty cool that it it's able to do that, all of those things, record your speed and all the other things. I guess the 20 minutes, if you happen to have something right at a crossover, um, Maybe expanding the memory card might be a bit better, but I mean, geez, what, what more could you ask for? I guess the one thing you could ask for is automatic streaming, um, or at least a, like a button to make that happen, uh, because if you did that, then if you got pulled over by a cop or something, you could start that process, and that way if they take your phone, whatever, they can't get rid of it. Uh, I do want to say a little bit more about dash cams. General use, you know, if you get in a wreck or something, it's recorded, that's good. I, I do think with what's going on with, with police departments all over the country, It, it is probably a good idea for everybody to have one. And like I said, you get pulled over, you're completely compliant. I mean, the best thing to do, if you get pulled over, pull out your wallet, put it on the, on the dashboard immediately before they even come to the car. And then after you do that, turn your dash cam to the, the, the driver's side window, put your window down, leave your hands on the steering wheel and wait. And when the officer gets there, you say, officer, how can I help you? He'll ask for license and registration, usually, as always. Tell you why he pulled you over. Say, my wallet's here, I'm going to grab it. Hand them your wallet or your, your ID and anything else you need to hand them at that point. Um, and say, I just want you to know for both of our safety, I am recording this interaction. And just point it. I'm recording this interaction. So I just wanted you to know that. And tell me anything I can do to assist you today. If you do that, black, white, green, you're probably not going to have a problem. And if you do, at least you have documentation of the problem. I also did speak to my nephew-in-law, I guess is what you, my niece's husband, uh, who is uh, currently serving with the United States Marshals Department. He's actually a police officer 
from Colorado, but he's serving with the marshals, and he's doing a really great service to humanity as far as I'm concerned. He's working human trafficking cases. And I told him, I said, if I ever got like an off-key officer, I would take my phone and dial 911 and say, Sir, I'm on 911 right now. I don't know if your dog died or your wife left you, but I don't feel safe. I'm willing to do whatever is necessary. I'm asking for another officer as soon as they're here. I'll comply with them. Something's not right. And he said, you know what? You would be within every single right that you have to do that. And he is not the first officer that confirmed it with me that that is a totally acceptable thing to do. Um, I do think that we need to think about how we interact with the police. And that's why I said, I want you to know for both of our safety, I am recording this interaction. Not, you know what, pig, I'm videoing this so when you abuse me, people can see it. This is the thing. If you want respect, treat others with respect. That's how it works in all things. If you want mail, send mail. If you want to get phone calls, make phone calls. You want to get text messages, make text messages. You want to be abused, abuse people. You want to be treated with disrespect, disrespect people. You want to be treated like an asshole, be an asshole to other people. That's how it works. Karma's real shit. Whether you believe it at the energetic or spiritual level or not, as a social construct, karma's real. People that are good to people all the time generally get it back. Does that mean that you will never run into an abusive person or an abusive law enforcement officer or an abusive criminal or an abusive teacher or an abusive whatever? No. What it does is it does minimize that potential and reduce it. And, and that's where we need to be thinking in our lives, especially today. You need to understand one thing. Because I, and anybody that hasn't listened for a long time, I'm harder on police than just about anybody in my space, I think, when they do something wrong. I'm the one that calls them, and I quote, oath-breaking pieces of shit when they break their oath. Because I take it personally when anyone who takes an oath breaks it. When you take an oath to serve people and you break it, you are a piece of shit. Okay? You are. I took an oath to my country when I served the United States Army. And I don't even believe there should be a state anymore. But I still honor my oath. Now, I don't follow the orders of the officers and non-commissioned officers above me. But I do defend the United States of America. And when I say that, I don't mean the state. I mean the people of it against all enemies, foreign domestic. And I, 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 I would do that with the last ounce of blood that I have. And I would never be part of something to take liberty unconstitutionally away from another individual because that's my oath. Well, law enforcement officers, that's your oath too. And I say that so that people will understand what I'm about to say as I come to the defense of officers, as I'm not one side or the other on this issue. I'm on the side of right. Officers right now are at a heightened sense, heightened sense of concern and fear that somebody's going to shoot them, kill them, hurt them, and their friends or their families or their brother officers. This is not the time to be getting in people's faces in antagonizing situations. Never a good idea, worse idea right now. And you need to understand if you have interactions with law enforcement, especially for the next month, and if things get worse for longer, that's the place they're in. And they're armed, and they have a job to do. And I do think in many instances, officers should say, I know I have this job to do, but this is wrong, so I'm not going to do it. And until they start doing that, we're going to have a lot of the problems that we have. 
And I think that if you're a law enforcement officer and you're racist, well, first of all, you're a piece of shit because you're a racist, okay? Just so you understand that. But you're a, you're, you're a double piece of shit if you're a racist law enforcement officer. If you're a racist, then you don't need to be in law enforcement. And what you need to do is, is go tell your chief, you know what, chief, I'm sorry, I took this job knowing I was a racist piece of shit, and I don't want to change who I am. So here's my badge, and here's my gun, and here's my uniform, and I don't deserve the authority of the state to propagate my racism anymore. And if you're a racist, you know you're a racist. Even if you say you're not a racist, if you're a racist, you know you're a racist. And if you think someone is more likely to be a criminal just because they're black, you're a racist. If you treat people in the exact same situation differently because of the color of their skin, you're a racist. You don't deserve to be a police officer. And we have racist police officers. And anybody that says we don't is, is, is just completely blind. And, and I'm tired of the, well, 99%. I, I, I don't think it's 99% of officers doing the job the way that they're supposed to. I think it's probably something like 90 to 95%, which is the vast majority. It is. But that's a lot of people running around out there with authority and the ability to use violence and force that shouldn't have it. And the problem I have with the other 95 is in most instances, you guys don't do what you ask us to do. You just don't do what you ask us to do. See something, say something. The thin blue line should never protect those that violate the oath that those that wear the blue take. You see any brother officer break their oath, they don't deserve the honor of your fraternity. Do you understand that? I've been part of certain groups in my life. And each of those required an agreement, an oath of sorts, sometimes an actual oath, sometimes something else. But the one way that you ended up on the outside of that group was to violate that promise, that oath, that piece of your word. When someone does, they don't deserve the protection of the group anymore, whether that be the military the police, a private group, a militia, when you break your oath, you no longer deserve the protection that came with it when you took it. I'm just saying. So how do we get past all this? What is the solution? I'm about to play something for you that I found on Facebook today that I found amazing. I loved it. And the audio is good. But the video is better, and I'll put a link to the video for you so you can see it on Facebook if you want to. Because it starts out with the guy that I think is actually the narrator, but it quickly turns to multiple people talking like they're him. And there's white people and Asian people and old people and young people and females and males, and it's all around, but it stays the same voice all the way through, which is a big part of the message. This is what I've been trying to tell you for so long, though I think maybe it's put much more eloquently than I ever have. So I want to play it for you. I'll come back with some final thoughts and we'll wrap up for the day. I am not black. I mean, that's what the world calls me, but it's not me. I didn't come out of my mother's womb saying, hey, everybody, I'm black. No, I was taught to be black. And you were taught to call me that along with whatever you call yourself. It's just a label. See, from birth, the world force feeds us these labels. 
and eventually we all swallow them. We digest and accept the labels, never ever doubting them. But there's one problem. Labels are not you and labels are not me. Labels are just labels. But who we truly are is not skin deep. See, when I drive my car, no one would ever confuse the car for me. Well, when I drive my body, why do you confuse me for my body? It's my body. Get it? Not me. Let me break it down. See, our bodies are just cars that we operate and drive around. The dealership we call society decided to label mine the black edition. Yours the Irish or white edition. And with no money down, 0% APR and no test drive, we were forced to own these cars for the rest of our lives. Forgive me, but I fail to see the logic or pride in defining myself or judging another by the cars we drive. Because who we truly are is found inside. Listen, I'm not here to tell you how science has concluded that genetically we're all mixed and race in the human species doesn't exist or how every historian knows that race was invented in the 15th century to divide people from each other and it has worked perfectly. No, I'm not here to lecture. I just want to ask one question. Who would you be if the world never gave you a label? Never gave you a box to check? Would you be white, black, Mexican, Asian, Native American, Middle Eastern, Indian? No, we would be one. We would be together. No longer living in the era of calling human beings black people or white people. These labels that will forever blind us from seeing a person for who they are, but instead seeing them through the judgmental, prejudicial, artificial filters of who we think they are. And when you let an artificial label define yourself, then my friend, you have chosen smallness over greatness and minimized yourself, confined and divided yourself from others. And it is an undeniable fact that where there is division, there will be conflict and conflict starts wars. Therefore, every war has started over labels. It's always us versus them. So the answer to war, racism, sexism and every other ism is so simple that every politician has missed it. It's the labels. We must rip them off. Isn't it funny how no baby is born racist, yet every baby cries when they hear the cries of another, no matter the gender, culture, or color, proving that deep down we were meant to connect and care for each other. That is our mission, and that is not my opinion. That is the truth in a world that has sold us fiction. Please listen, labels only distort our vision, which is why half of those watching this will dismiss it or feel resistance and conflicted, but just remember, so did the caterpillar before it broke through its shell and became the magnificent butterfly. Well, these labels are our shells and we must do the same thing so we can finally spread our wings. Human beings were not meant to be slapped with labels like groceries and supermarkets. DNA cannot be regulated by the FDA. We were meant to be free and only until we remove them all and stop living and thinking so small will we be free to see ourselves and each other for who we truly are. Let me add to that. What if we didn't label ourselves as Democrats and Republicans? What if we didn't label ourselves as rich and poor, middle class, you know? 
I think even that has a, a connotation. We, we, we've become proud of being part of the middle class, and that, that basically means we're better than those who are not. I mean, if you think about it that way, like, you know, we're middle class. That means we're better than lower class. We're doing better. We're better people. We, we, we've earned what we have. And I, I think maybe we have, but you know, can't we earn what we have without labeling it? I've worked hard for what I have. I'm proud of my accomplishments. Isn't that good enough? Do we need to label ourselves? And one thing that was said in that video is it always has been us and them. And they've always used racism to fervent wars. Go back and look at some of the, the propaganda films from World War II and hear about the treacherous nips yeah, that they called the Japanese. And look at some of the caricatures and cartoons of how they depict Japanese people for war propaganda. Wasn't so easy to do with the Germans, though there was some kraut humor and stuff like that that was used. But, you know, when, when half your country has some German uh, roots in them, it's not as easy. So the propaganda in World War II was mostly around the Japanese, and then anybody associated with them was the enemy. And I'm, I mean, I'll admit, I mean, first admit, that was one of the few wars where there was clearly a bad guy in it. There was no question who was the bad guy in that war, right? But without the First World War, there wouldn't have been a Second World War. The man speaking in this video is correct. The problem is the labels. In fact, there was only one inaccuracy in that entire video. One. And one only. Otherwise, it was fantastic and flawless inaccuracy. And the one inaccuracy was not one of intent or malice, and it doesn't detract from how great that was. That's why I played it. But it was where he says, the problem is one all the politicians have missed. It is the labels. That is not accurate. The politicians and the people in power have not missed the problem of the labels. They have used the problem of their labels to their own ends for a very long time, and they intend to keep doing so. And as long as we willingly go along with it, they'll keep doing it, and they'll keep being successful with it. I had an interesting question recently. I didn't have it on the docket for today's show, but today now I feel like it's a perfect question to answer. And the question was, Jack, I'm, I'm trying to get my head around this thing that you call yourself. You say you're a deist. And I looked that up, and that says that you believe in a God, a creator, but not one that gets involved with the world uh, on a daily basis, which isn't exactly accurate. Deist is a very diverse term, but it doesn't mean that I believe in a God, a creator, that I can't necessarily define, and that God may not be anthropomorphic. In other words, that God may not be human-looking, okay? Probably isn't, in my view. But um, his bigger question was, and this guy was of the Christian faith, though he has some, some stumblings with it. He said, one of the things that I've always believed in, and I'll never not believe in it, is the power of prayer. What do you think about prayer? And I'm going to say something at first that's going to sound very self-serving, but when you hear me out, you'll understand that it's not. And I don't mean self-serving for me. I mean self-serving for the person praying. Whether or not prayer works, I think, is a very big uh, question depending on what you mean by that. And I will say flat out, I think that if you mean, if I pray for it to snow and it snows, did prayer work, then absolutely prayer does not work that way. 
I think if I if you pray for somebody to live who wasn't going to live, uh, they're not going to turn around and live. I don't think, no matter if I'm completely wrong about my take on God, I don't believe God is a genie who grants wishes. I don't think that's how God works. But even if prayer works beyond the way that I say, say it does, or if it doesn't, or if it doesn't work at all in any sort of metaphysical way, I still think there's value in prayer, and the first thing that you should pray for, if you a person that prays, is yourself. I told you it would sound self-serving. It's not. Because I believe it's the one form of prayer that no matter whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, a, a deist, a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a shamanic person, or some faith I'm not aware of, I don't believe anybody could deny that praying for yourself would be ineffectual. Now, I think maybe we should talk about what you're praying for. I think if you pray for money or achievement or wealth or accolades, that's probably not likely to work. But I think if a person prays to be a better person, they will in fact become a better person because in the end, they're creating an intention within themselves to be a better person. I think if you pray to be more accepting of others, you will become more accepting of others. I think if you if you pray that you see less color and more the human in another person, that you will be less racist than you will see the other person beyond the color of their skin. I think if you pray to be more tolerant of others, you will be more tolerant. I think if you pray to be more courageous, you will be more courageous. I think if you pray for anything that actually is and indeed a way to improve yourself, that your ability to do so will go up. So I think that if you're a person that prays here, instead of praying that others might be more accepting of others and have more respect for others and be more colorblind, etc., that the best thing to do is pray for yourself to have that. Because even if prayer works at the metaphysical level that some people of certain faiths believe it does, it won't change the fact that the most impactful person that you can affect in your life is yourself. And whether prayer works as a psychological construct or a metaphysical reality, it's still the case that the greatest impact you could ever have with prayer is upon yourself. And if we're going to fix this problem, it is an inward, not an outward problem. We must correct the problem in ourselves. That's what I started out with talking about today with this problem, and it's where I'm going to finish. With that, if you like this show and the work I do, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you can help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents per episode. That's 50 bucks a year if you do the math. Or if you want to do it monthly, it can be 5 bucks a month. You can even pay quarterly or semi-annually. That's all up to you. You can find it all on the website. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members. Remember, even though I just talked about faith, this is not a church. I'm not asking for charity or donations. The Membership Brigade also provides many benefits back to you. It's not just deciding the content's worth it, so I'm going to pay for it. Because uh, the content's free and always will be. You get over $200 worth of free ebooks the day that you sign up. You get discounts to over 65 different vendors selling things that you're probably buying anyway. And a lot of other great benefits, including every episode of the show ever produced in convenient zip files. Uh, and I mean every single episode. You can download them and have them all and keep them forever. They're all there. It's all part of the Member Support Brigade. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, and first responders like EMTs and paramedics and firefighters, I do offer you guys a discount. Uh, I know I'm hard on you sometimes, but I'm hard on those of you that break your oath. I'm not hard on those of you that keep it. 
just remember that. And I do honor your sacrifice and your service and offer you a discount. To obtain that discount, email me with TSPC service discount in the subject line. Send that that email to jack at the com. I don't need DD-214s. I don't need CVs. I need one or two sentences telling me about your service. That's it. The other way you can support me, and I, I really hope that you guys keep doing this because this is probably the easiest thing I've ever done to allow this audience to support me, is just do your shopping at Amazon through my affiliate link. And you can get to that by going to tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com, again, tspaz.com. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about what I'm doing to make things better for you. A lot of you guys are on my email list, so every time I do a post on the blog, an email goes out. Well, the problem is, since I started doing the item a day, there's at least two posts every day. So you're getting at least two emails every day, and I got a few people complaining about that, and I understand too many emails. So what I've done is I've changed my system, and now the email goes out when there's two posts. So you get the item of the day and the podcast, usually in one email, unless there's some other random uh, post. I've only actually gotten one complaint about the item of the day thing itself, and it was somebody that said, this is ridiculous. If you don't stop, I'm going to unsubscribe. And I responded with... You sound like a child holding your breath, so go ahead and do it. I mean, what am I supposed to say to that? If you don't like it, don't read it. But I I do want to kind of try to point something out. If you actually read my posts for item of the day when you shop on T-SPAS, and item of the day is wherever that link, you know, T-SPAS link will point to that day for that one item. And then if you don't want it, you just buy whatever you want, like always. You just search for it. So you're going to see something different every day. The posts I do, I actually try to bring you additional information and education. Um, why I selected the product, I think, alone is an education because you know what to look for when you decide you want something of your own, no matter where you buy it. But I also try to give things like recipes with kitchen items and ideas of what to do with it so that if you already have something that fills that function, that you get some value from the post. Today's post is um, about the Nutra Ninja. So the Nutra Ninja is this little, like, super badass blender that blends upside down. You put the stuff in it, you screw the cap on, you turn it upside down, you put it in, blam! I mean, it, it annihilates what is ever in there. It only has one speed, and that speed is really freaking fast. We ended up with this thing because Dorothy likes to make smoothies, and we have a Vitamix, and we use it for things like making uh, butternut squash soup and things like that. But for smoothies, if you're making one, and I'm not a smoothie guy, right? Um... It's a big piece of equipment. We don't have that much counter space. It gets put away in the cabinets. You got to pull it out. You got to use it. You got to wash it. You got to dry it. You got to put it away. So she's like, I want a small thing. So I went on a, a research quest. I ended up finding the Nutra Ninja. I had down to the Nutra Ninja and the Nutra Bullet. And the Ninja was more powerful, had better design blades, did a better job, got better reviews, and I decided on it. So we got that. So what I do with it, though, is I use it for more like some paleo stuff. So what I put out today that I think would be valuable to anybody is a paleo drink that I make. Now, it's not an alcoholic drink, though you can make it an alcoholic drink. It, but it's basically strawberry limeade. Now, don't get your shorts wadded up. I know they make those things at Sonic, and they're very bad for you. They have, like, 7-Up and fructose corn syrup and sugar water and all kinds of crap in it. This ain't got none of that. Here's what I do. Um... Per gallon, I use the juice of eight limes. That's about eight ounces or about an ounce of uh, juice to a good lime. There's also crappy limes sometimes, but good limes you get about an ounce per, per lime. And then two and a half cups of sliced strawberry. That will fill the big cup that comes with the Nutri Ninja to the top. You can do this with any blender, okay? Uh, then you use water to fill the Nutri Ninja cup. So you would cover the strawberries with water. Uh, so you need water to fill. And stevia to sweeten. And I use liquid 
stevia to sweeten, and I don't sweeten the whole batch. I pour it in a glass, and then I sweeten it to taste, so that different people like different levels of sweetness, and I use liquid stevia because it, it works best for that. So here's how I make it. I take a one-gallon jug, and I squeeze eight limes into it. I then fill the Nutri-Ninja Big Cup to the max fill lime with strawberries, Sliced strawberries. You can use frozen or fresh, but if you use frozen, make sure there's no sugar added. Most frozen strawberries don't have a make sure of that. And make them, let them thaw first and slice them. Because if you don't, you're going to make a slushy. Oh, by the way, today's 7-Eleven day. You can get your free Slurpee at 7-Eleven somehow. I don't know. But fill the cup to the max fill line with water. That helps with the extraction of the strawberry juice. And then process it in your, your blender, your Nutri Ninja, until like the berries are just nothing left of them. Now, this is the important part. You take a metal strainer like a metal colander, you know, a thin one, put it over your jug and pour the strawberry slurry through it and strain it out, okay? And get all the seeds out and all the extra, like, stuff that will separate out of it so it's just water. If you don't, or just juice, if you don't do that, it will separate and have a big frothy thing on it. You'll be picking seeds out of your teeth. It's, it's not good. And then fill the gallon jug with cool water to the top of the one gallon, And mix it. That's it. Serve it over ice and sweeten by the glass with liquid stevia extract. Um, here's how that breaks down for those of you in the low-carb paleo world. Eight ounces of lime juice has about 20 carbohydrates. Two and a half cups of sliced strawberries has about 25 carbs. Total carb count is 45 carbohydrates to the gallon. And it's probably not really that because you're not getting all of the carbs out of the lime. You're not getting all the carbs out of the strawberries. Some of it's being discarded. But we'll call it 45. That makes you 10, roughly 10, 12-ounce servings. Each 12-ounce serving has 4.5 carbohydrates. 4.5 carbohydrates. This drink is loaded with vitamins. A 12-ounce can of Coke has 42 carbs to the 12-ounce can. This means you can probably drink about a gallon of this. And that's about the same as one can of Coca-Cola. And it tastes really great. It really does. You can make it with lemons uh, as well instead of limes. But I've found that lemons right now are more expensive than limes if you figure out how much you're going to need to get an ounce out of them. I think lemons the other day at the store were like $1.29 a piece. And they're about twice the size of a lime. And limes were four for a buck. So i kind of on the lime kick right now. Both of them taste good. You can use other berries, but you need to check your berries and make sure your carb count's not going up too much. Um, it's it's just the case that strawberries kind of have the biggest bang for the buck out of it. Blackberry and raspberry juice can be used at about 45 carbs to the cup, so that that's pretty good. Um, you uh, can use by using the or 45 carbs to the cup, so you're going to go up to about 65 carbs to the gallon. That's not as good, but you're only at 6.5 carbs per 12-ounce glass, so it's still a lot less than, than anything else. And if it's stretched out over the day, then it, it's it's not the same as getting this one big hit of sugar. Um, if you want to go uber low-carb, just forget the Nutri-Ninja, the blender, and just make lemon or limeade that way. Uh, and again, I, I wanted to kind of point out that this is the type of stuff I put in my posts about the Amazon item of the day. It's not like, here's the Amazon item of the day, buy it. It's like, here's what it is, here's what I do with it, here's why I have it, here's why I picked it, here's what to look for when you do it, things like that. So I'm trying to bring like another level of value to the audience because you guys shopping on Amazon using T-SPAS helps me out a lot. So I feel an obligation not just to ask you to do it, but to give you something in return. 
With that, I um, want to remind you another way that you can help support the entire community is to do your uh, your shopping first. Go to the TSP business directory and see if there's someone there you can do business with instead of going to Amazon. I'm, I'm serious about that. Today's supporter of the business directory located at TSP Business, Techstar Genetics. They, breeds, they breed herding, uh, herding bred border collies from top imported lines and Great Pyrenees Livestock Guardian Dogs. They're located in Central Texas. You can give them a call at 979-229-6638. And that brings us to our closing song of the day. This song came from a listener, and it said you should open up your uh, your closing song to requests by the audience. And that's pretty much implied, I guess. I'll, I'll take any request. TSP, you know, Jack, you, you email jack at the survivalpodcast.com and make sure you put TSPC in the subject line. It'll come to my attention for the show. And uh, I'll review it. If you want to suggest a song, go ahead. The thing is, I've heard, I've had a lot of people request songs or say you should play this song. And I don't mean to be a dick, but if I don't like the music, I'm not going to play it. So, like, a lot of them, like, the words were kind of cool in some of the songs. But, like, if it's, like, like hardcore punk, I, I just, I, I don't dig that kind of music. And I'm just not going to play it. I, I don't put it down. I just I'm not going to play it. I'm probably not going to play rap music on my show either, right? Um, but I'll but I'll play anything that I like and that has a cool message to talk about. Today's song is is both of those things. This is by the Eagles on the uh, Hell Freezes from the Hell Freezes Over uh, album, and it's called Learn to Be Still. And I thought it was a good like it just serendipitously came on, for a show that I was going to do. We talk about all these things with race relations and turmoil and things like that. And uh, let me give you a couple of the, the words in it. We are like sheep without a shepherd. We don't know how to be alone. So we wander around this desert and wind up following the wrong God's home. But the frock cries out for another, and they keep answering that bell. And one more starry-eyed Messiah meets a violent farewell. Learn to be still. Learn to be still. And then there's another line that says, Now there are flowers in your garden. They don't smell so sweet. Maybe you've forgotten the heaven lying at your feet. There's so many contradictions in these messages we send. We keep asking, How do I get out of here? Where do I fit in? Though the world is torn and shaken, even if your heart is breaking, It's waiting for you to awaken, and someday you will learn to be still. Learn to be still. It's just another day in paradise. As you stumble to your bed, you'd give anything to silence those voices ringing in your head. You thought you could find happiness just over that green hill. You thought you would be satisfied, but you never will learn to be still. And I read it all out of sequence because I just wanted to change the way that hits you. Um, but that song is very much about our society today. We haven't learned to be still. We haven't... The dogs uh, are objecting to my commentary. We, we haven't learned to be still. We haven't learned to be alone. Um, as many of you know, my son and daughter-in-law just had a new baby. And my grandson is five. And Matthew told my wife, Dorothy, that he's, he's adjusting well, but, you know, they were home alone for a week together because my son had a week off from work. Now, you know, he's back at work, but he spent as much time as he can at the house. And my, my daughter-in-law is off for a month from work with maternity leave. 
and he's adjusting well to it all, but he's spending a lot of time alone in his room. And my, my wife told him, that's great. He needs to know how to be alone. He needs to know how to entertain himself. As long as he's happy, as long as he's playing, and go in there and play with him. Let's just claw down on the floor and play with him and spend time with both your kids and be happy. He's learning to be independent. We have to, as a society and as a being and as a species, learn to be both dependent and, I mean, interdependent and independent at the same time. That is, that is the only way we can succeed as individuals. We can never achieve all the things that we want or all the things that we're capable of completely on our own, but we have to be okay on our own. And we have to be okay sometimes with just silence and nothing. To learn to sit in the woods and watch the birds and be like, that's enough. I remember I used to go fishing with my uncle and some of his friends, and sometimes we'd be out sitting in the boat fishing and not catching any fish, and I remember one of his friends, Bill, would say particularly, this is it, kid. This is the best thing it is. This is great. And I'm like, we've been out here four hours. We ain't caught a fish yet. He'd say, one day you'll get it. I do now. That Those moments of not worrying about anything, except my line getting tight, and if it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I'm here with good friends in a wonderful place and just being chill. And as I got a little older, I did a lot of fishing on my own. Fishing is one of my favorite things to do. And I would sit for hours at a pond or a lake or a river or a stream fishing, and I didn't really care if I caught anything. I was happy when I did. But listening to the sound of the water was enough. Instead of getting angry, and sometimes I do, you guys know that, but as an overall theme in life, instead of getting angry, what we need to do is find peace. It's the only way that we're going to solve these problems, and God knows these problems need solving. Think about that with everything you've heard today. I hope you enjoy this song. Uh, as big a fan as I am of the Eagles, I didn't really pay a lot of attention when they got back together. I'm like a fan of old school Eagles. So I'd actually never heard this song. So certainly send me any of your requests. Just understand if it doesn't get on the air, maybe I didn't like it. Maybe I just didn't find the time to play it yet. But, I mean, I'll consider that. Anything you have to suggest with this show, send my way. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help me figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Another day in paradise As you stumble to your bed Give anything a silence Those voices ringing in your head You thought you could find happiness Just over that green hill Thought you would be satisfied, but you never will learn to be still. We are like sheep without a shepherd. We don't know how to be alone. So we wander around this desert Wind up following the wrong God's home But the flock cries out for another 
They keep answering that bell One more story at Messiah Meets a violent farewell Learn to be still Yeah. 